This week, Darcy and I are beginning 33 years together. That's kind of uh, unbelievable that anybody would put up with me for 33 years. Uh, we were talking last night about our first apartment, and I remember that uh, we were going. We found this apartment that we were going to move into, and uh, I uh, went to one of my buddies, and I took my credit card, and I got all of the cash advance that I could, and I went to one of my buddies, and I had to borrow $35 from him so we could make the deposit and the first month's rent. And we had this old couch that we moved in there, uh, and we got married, and we gave uh, gave Darcy's sister the keys to our apartment, and uh, they went in and decorated it for us. Uh, we had one couch, and I had one of those ginormous 13-inch black and white TVs. And that thing probably stretched from the tip of my finger at least to the middle of my forearm. Uh, and uh, we set that up on this beautiful uh, entertainment center. It was, a, it was a cardboard box. And she had taken a towel and laid the towel over it, and we put that on there. And my grandma, for a wedding gift, uh, she bought us a bedroom set. And so I wanted to surprise my wife with this bedroom set. So my roommate and I, we went and picked it out. We did not do well with our mattress selections. We thought that jumping on the bed would be a great thing to show us what we needed, but that did not work, and that was a miserable mattress. But anyway, that's what we had. My other grandma gave us her, uh, her uh, old dining room set, and it was a glass it was a table, but it was just a huge sheet of glass, and you set it on the stand, and it looked so cool, but man, when we started having kids, and they started fingerprinting that every time, we had to decide, do we get rid of the kids, or do we get rid of the table? I'm glad we still have that table. <laughs> but man, you know, as we, as we were talking about this last night, uh, looking back on those years, uh, we didn't know any better. We didn't know that, that having home furnishings was an important thing. We, we just had each other, and people told us that we were too young to be married, but, but we did it anyway. We did it anyway, and, and just kind of started life together, just jumped out in that thing together. Uh, this morning, we continue our journey uh, through God's marriage blueprint. The first stop that we made in our journey, we looked at the marriage floor plan. And that floor plan was laid out for us in Genesis 2, verse 24, and it said this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Uh, this floor plan determines the layout for the rest of the marriage structure. And as we have made our way through this study, we've looked back on this floor plan a number of times, and we've seen how this floor plan kind of holds everything else in the marriage structure uh, together. We looked for two weeks in a row at the load-bearing walls of marriage that help the marriage structure stand. Uh, and that is found in Ephesians 5, verse 33, and it says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let his wife see that she respects her husband. 
Now, last week we were together, and we began looking at the interior furnishings. We saw the structure of the marriage, but then we began looking at the interior furnishings. And last time we looked at the thought of love and marriage. And as we thought about love and marriage, we looked at 1 Corinthians 13, and we looked at the love chapter from a marriage perspective. And we talked about what love would look like if we lived out love, according to 1 Corinthians 13, within our marriages. And we talked about how different our marriages would look if we lived out that kind of agape love in our marriages. And so we talked about that. And as we look this morning, as we look at this thought, We want to continue to look at these interior pieces. And I've entitled this message this morning, Divided or Undivided Interests. Now open your Bibles, if you're not already there, to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and find verse 32. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32. Now, I have a confession to you, to make to you. Uh, I was reading a couple of weeks ago, and I stumbled across these verses. And these verses just kind of jumped off the page to me. And as I, as I looked at this marriage study, I knew those first three that we looked at were going to be essentials to this study. But this was not something that I had looked at. But as I read these verses, I I couldn't believe how well this fits into the floor plan of marriage and how well this fits into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And so that's why we want to look at these because uh, in these verses, this contains within these verses some key interior furnishings that kind of make the rest of the house come together. Now, I'm not an interior designer. I played one on TV once and I was at a Holiday Inn Express. But other than that, I've never been an interior decorator. But I've heard people People say, that's the piece that brings everything together. And as I read these verses, I feel like this is the piece that brings everything together in a marriage. And and I share that just from personal experience, just seeing it lived out in my own marriage and seeing it lived out in the marriage of my parents. So here we are, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'll invite you to stand with me as we read this together. I'll read it out loud and you can follow along with me in your copy of the scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, looking at verse 32. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Uh, It says this, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried man or betrothed, or the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. Father, we're grateful for this morning that you've given to us, and as we open your word this morning, I pray your word would open to us. Uh, I pray, Lord, we would hear from you. I pray this wouldn't just be words in a book to us, but I pray your Holy Spirit would take your word, speak to our hearts, speak and, and feed in and pour into our hearts. Lord, we know there's no way that we can hear from you if I'm in the way. And so I pray, Lord, your word would speak to us. And I pray that as we leave here this morning, that we'll be able to say that we have heard from you and you alone. And so, Lord, speak to us this morning. Grateful for your son, Jesus, and just all that we have because of what your son, Jesus, has done for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as we look at this passage this morning, 
as we think about this passage and we think about this undivided and divided in interest, there are two headings that we want to use to kind of lead us through this passage. Uh, the first he heading we want to look at is undivided interest. And the second heading that we're going to look at is divided interest. And so let's begin there with this thought of undivided interest. Uh, look at verse 32 with me. Uh, Paul says, I want you to be free from anxiety. So Paul is speaking about being anxiety free and a desire here for the people that he's writing to to be anxiety free. Now Paul is actually responding to a question that was written to him. As we move through our study in 1 Corinthians and some of you still remember it, but as we move through that study there were a number of times where Paul made a comment like now concerning the matters of which you wrote and he responded they wrote him a question and he would respond to that situation within the church. And we know the church of Corinth was just uh, living life. They were, they were consumed by the things of the world. They weren't very God-honoring in some aspects. And so Paul really addresses a number of their concerns. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul is speaking about marriage, and he's talking to them about marriage. Uh, this is 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1, uh, and it says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote. So in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul begins to talk about marriage uh, and talks about all of the aspects of marriage. And when we get to verse 25, Paul begins to speak to them about marriage and Christian service. And that's what he's talking about with them. And that's where we drop in this morning is right there in this area of being married and, and serving the Lord. Now, there were some people who were anxious about being married. Some were not sure if they should marry or not marry. That was the question. To marry or not to marry. That was the question. And so he's writing this and he's instructing them and he's teaching them about marriage. Now, Paul was unmarried. Paul was not married. In 1 Corinthians 7, 8-9, he shares this. I wish that all were as myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. But if you cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So as we look at this and as we think about this, Paul was not opposed to marriage. He was not married, but he was not opposed to marriage. He saw that marriage was a good thing. He knew that being unmarried was not something that was good for everyone. Not everyone could handle it. Uh, there are some who have never been married, will never be married, and they're okay with that. They don't mind that they've never been married. Uh, some widows and widowers are in that boat as well. Hey, I was married once, not doing that again. I'm pretty happy just being single. Uh, and some have that mindset. There are others who can't wait to be married. Uh, I said that I wasn't going to get married until I was 30 years old. At 21, I found the perfect lady. So I went ahead and got married because I wasn't going to find another one. I, I knew my chances were slim. But for some people, marriage is not that. But for others of us, marriage is something that we do. Marriage is something that we're wired for. Uh, for some widows and widowers, they're the same way. They, they desire to be remarried, and they get remarried. Uh, and so that is their mindset. Paul, as he looked at singleness, as he looked at singleness, he saw singleness as a gift. 
He saw singleness as a gift. He realized that others had different gifts. He realized that singleness was not something for everybody. But Paul saw singleness as a gift. Now, notice what he says as verse 32 continues. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord. This is why Paul saw being unmarried as a gift from God. He could be focused on the Lord, and he could be focused on the Lord alone and not worry about his spouse. We think about Paul, and we think about his ministry. Think about all of the missionary journeys that he took. When God led him, when God directed him, he just picked up his tent, and he took off, and he left. I remember when I was going to college in Kansas, I put everything I owned in the back of a Toyota pickup and put a tarp over it and came home. I mean, that's how I moved back then. That's just the way it was. When we decided to move to Wyoming, it took a horse trailer and two pickups. When we moved from Wyoming to Michigan, it took a U-Haul, a minivan, and a car. Thankfully, we could put the car in tow, and we loaded it up with junk and towed it behind. But what a difference that makes, being single, just being able to go on a whim and just be able to do or being married and have a family. And Paul said, being married is good for some, but not being married is a gift from God. He had no other concerns as Paul moved, as Paul journeyed from place to place. The single man only has to be anxious for the things of the Lord. He can be fully devoted. He can be fully pleasing to the Lord. He is single-minded. This is Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul's point here is that the single life, with its simplicity, with its greater simplicity, has fewer obligations than that of a married man. It allows for a potentially greater commitment of time and of resources and self to go and to serve the Lord. And so Paul, as he was looking at this, he was thinking, you know what, as an unmarried man, that is a gift. I can be fully, 100% devoted to the Lord. Now notice he speaks about unmarried women as well. Look at verse 34, the second part of verse 34 here. He says, And the unmarried or the betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. Now, Paul is speaking about the unmarried woman here. And he speaks about the unmarried woman just as he spoke about the unmarried man. Society sees an unmarried lady as a curse. Ladies, if you've been unmarried for any time period at all and, and missed that age period of, what, 20, 21, when you're supposed to be married, you've had that. You've experienced that. Uh, people come up to you, and it seems like the first thing that they always ask you, they don't care about your health, they don't care about your job, they don't care about it. When you get married, that's kind of the first thing that comes out of their minds. They don't, 
necessarily mean anything by it. Uh, they don't understand what's going on. But that's kind of the mindset that's there. Uh, and sometimes women feel that pressure to be married. Uh, I'm 21 and I don't have a boyfriend yet. I'm 21 and I'm not married yet. And there's panic that sets in that, oh, am I going to be like this for my whole life? Paul is sharing with them, being single is a gift. Being single is a gift. Paul sings singleness as a gift, not as a curse. It was a gift for him. It was a gift for other men. And it's also a gift for women as well. For the unmarried woman, they are able to turn all of their interests to the Lord. Notice it says, uh, to the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to be holy in body and spirit. They don't have to be anxious about their husbands. They don't have to be anxious about their, their children. Uh, they can look at being holy in body and spirit. Their focus is on living the Christian life. Their focus is not this opportunity to, to live irresponsible adolescence. As this single woman looking to follow Christ, they see this as an opportunity to work on their holiness, to, to work on that, that thing, the things that interest the Lord and, and the serving the Lord. That is, their, that is to be their mindset. An opportunity to shine for Jesus in their singleness. An opportunity to shine for Jesus in their society, in their circumstances. There is zero disadvantage to remaining single. So often that's not our mindset. So often that's not the mindset of society. But that's what Paul is sharing. There is zero disadvantage. In fact, it's advantageous for us as we serve the Lord to remain single. So as we think about this, as a single person, you live with an undivided interest. As a single person, you are following the Lord and you are serving the Lord, and that's your only concern. That is your only interest, is serving the Lord. But, for the married person, there is divided interest. There is divided interest. Notice verse 33. But, the married man. Paul has been speaking about the unmarried man in verse 32. And now he says, but. So we know there's a change of course here. The unmarried man can have just a sole interest on serving the Lord. But the married man. Paul speaking to the men who are married. These men did not see singleness as a gift or as something to be grasped. They found the right woman. They tied the knot. And Paul doesn't say there's anything wrong with being married. He is fully understanding God's blueprint for marriage. And he realizes that for some, marriage is, is the option. Marriage is what they're going to do. Paul recognizes that. Marriage is something that God instituted. Paul recognizes that. Paul's not trying to change what God instituted. He realizes that God is the one who put the, together the floor plan. He realizes that. It's not up for man to decide. It's God's doing. So he recognizes that marriage is a good thing. Paul is not diminishing married life at all. He's not diminishing married life at all. He says, but the married man is anxious 
about worldly things. Now, I think as we look at this, we understand and we know that Paul is not talking to the married man that they can pursue worldly things as far as, as sinful things of the world. We know that's not what Paul is, is speaking about. That's not what Paul is, is teaching here. But Paul is speaking about the responsibilities that a married man has now that he becomes a husband. Darcy and I were talking last night about just not even having any awareness of what lied ahead for us. We knew we were in love. We knew we wanted to spend the rest of our lives together. I knew that she was the only one that would give me that chance. So I was taking advantage of that. Mindful of it. No idea what that entailed. My mom and dad made marriage life look easy. I mean, they looked like it was something they, they just did for fun. Uh, I didn't realize that behind the scenes that there's a lot of work that goes into making a marriage like they had it. Uh, I understood that my dad was the head of the house, and I understood that my mom was the queen, and there was never any doubt about either one of their roles, because you cross the queen, you're going to meet the king. That's just, that's just the way it works in my house. Uh, and so... My parents made marriage look easy, and my sister and I have commented about this before, too, is that great growing up in that environment because they made marriage look so easy. So we've had that model lived out before us, and, and Darcy's parents the same way. Uh, and so we know that, that that's how marriage uh, works. And so that's what we wanted to do is we wanted to be married. We wanted to begin that life. We didn't understand all of the things that went along with it. Uh, we, 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 we didn't fully see all of those things. But that's what Paul says. The married man is not anxious about worldly things. He's recognizing those responsibilities he has. Now, he's no longer single-minded. As a married man, he's no longer single-minded. Now, he still has Christ as his primary focus. Serving Christ, following Christ is still his primary focus. But now he has a secondary focus. And that secondary focus is his wife. That's the secondary focus. Christ is still head of the husband. It says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, uh, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So Christ is still the head. We understand that. But now he has a responsibility for the well-being of his wife. Now notice what it says next. But the married man is anxious about worldly things. How to please his wife. That now becomes the husband's concern. How to please his wife. His interests are now divided. The husband is to be concerned about what pleases God. And the husband is also to be concerned with what pleases his wife. Now, let that sink in for a moment. When I read this passage, that's what happened to me. A married man is anxious about worldly things. How to please his wife. As a husband, I'm to desire to please God. But I'm also, to I'm also to desire to please my wife. I now have a split, a split interest. 
with marriage comes this divided interest. The husband still serves the Lord, but now he must dutifully carry out his marital obligations. And I know that doesn't sound very good, but isn't that true? It doesn't sound very loving, doesn't sound very romantic. Uh, it wouldn't be in one of those how-to books. But a husband is to dutifully carry out his marital obligation. He is now also to be focused on pleasing his wife. For some, we are focused on pleasing our wives. But we forget that we all are also to please the Lord. I do believe that if we are correctly focused on the Lord and desiring to please the Lord and have a correct focus on pleasing the Lord, I do think pleasing our wives will be a thing that comes along with it. I think that will come hand in hand. Unfortunately for us as men, we become focused on self. Unfortunately, we as men become focused on self. Now listen to this with me for a moment. The married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. Nowhere in my translation does it say he's worried about how to please himself. It doesn't say that. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. You can read it when you get home. Unfortunately, that's what we do as men. We focus on ourselves. Ephesians 5.25 says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Husbands, that's where we are. That is to be our mindset. That is to be where we are. Husbands, we are to seek to please our wives. That's a simple concept. As we think about that, this concept is letting our greatest pleasure be seeing our wives pleased. That should be our greatest pleasure. I remember as a kid, excited about Christmas coming. And I mean, it seemed like it was a year away every time. You know, it was like we'd celebrate Christmas and then it wouldn't come again for like 360, 365 days before the next Christmas would come. But you know, as a parent, it feels like it's maybe 250. Maybe 2.45. I mean, what? It's Christmas already? Uh, uh, how does this work? This time for Christmas, let's just do gift cards to Bigby. That's all we're doing. Because we, we've only had 250 days to prepare. That's kind of our mindset. But you know, as a, as a kid, those, those gifts that we received, man, that was just so exciting. But as a parent, I like seeing the joy that my kids have at Christmas. I, I like seeing their excitement. And, and my excitement is, is put on the back burner. And you know, as husbands, seeing that kind of excitement in our wives, that kind of joy in our wives, that should be the thing that motivates us. That should be why we do marriage. Now, I know the wives are hoping we'll close in prayer. But we're not going to. Which... Wives, respect your husbands. That's the biggest selling DVD we have online right now. Just saying. But we don't want to abandon this and just leave this to husbands. Because look at verse 34, the last part. But the married woman 
is anxious about worldly things. How to please her husband. This is the same thing, but it's opposite, isn't it? Just so wives don't say, yeah, preach your brother. <laughs> this is in here for us. I don't know if you know this or not, but marriage is a two-way street. Marriage is a two-way street. I don't know if you've ever noticed that before. When we first moved to when we first moved here, my first trip to Adrian was embarrassing because I turned down the wrong way multiple times. People honking the horns, flashing lights at you. I thought Michigan people aren't very friendly, and then I saw the one-way signs, and so like I'm okay. All right, I understand that. So I, I give you a pass. Now I go to that section of Adrian. I'm ready for the one-ways, and it's all two-ways, and they're thinking I'm in the wrong lane again. And then I realize that all of those signs are gone. Some people enter into marriage and they don't realize that marriage is give and take, that marriage is a north and south, an east and west kind of relationship. This is, this is how marriage works. I remember my math teacher one time asking this question, how many of you think that marriage is 50%? Husband gives 50, a man gives, a wife gives 50. 50 plus 50, it's 100%. We're in math class. Got to be 100%. And the teacher said, your marriage will fail if you think it's just 50-50. Marriage is 100 and 100. That's how a marriage works. You've heard that saying, happy wife equals happy life. I disagree with that. I think happy spouse makes happy house. I think that's how it works. I think that's how a marriage is designed. And we see this. Husbands, you are to seek to please your wives. But wives, you are still to seek how to please your, your husbands. You're still to seek and, and desire to please the Lord. That's still, that's still our desire, right? We're serving the Lord. We're going after Him. But we have a secondary responsibility. Wives, please your husbands. When you get married, your interests are now divided. No longer seeking how to please the Lord only, but seeking how to please her husband as well. Seeking to dutifully carry out our marital obligations as a wife. The wife is to be mindful of her husband and she is seek to please him. It's a simple concept. Wives, let your greatest pleasure be seeing the pleasure of your husband. Now think about this for a moment. Think about how this fits into the floor plan. Think about how this fits into the floor plan. This is the floor plan. Genesis 2, verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So if we are one flesh, and I am seeking to bring my wife joy, and I am seeking to please my wife, ultimately, I'm helping us. If my wife seeks to please me, and she seeks to bring me joy, ultimately, she's not benefiting herself. She's benefiting us. And then we get back to this whole circle again, where we're doing this for each other. 
We're helping out each other because it's good for us. We're no longer I and me or you and thee. We are us and we. We are us and we. And what's good for the goose is good for the gander. That makes sense, doesn't it? But this is what makes this marriage circle work, is when this becomes our mindset. The moment that I become selfish, the moment the focus becomes on me, then we have problems. But when we are both seeking after Christ, and we are both seeking to be there for one another, then the triangle comes together, doesn't it? And the triangle is the same distance on all three squares, on all three sides. It's the same distance. So as we come closer to the Lord in our serving of Him, we're coming closer to each other. As I'm making the Lord my first priority and making her my second priority, we are coming together. And our, our marriage, our relationship is going to grow stronger as we continue to do that. And the circle is going to continue. Now, I was thinking about this, and I'm thinking, how does this floor plan fit that whole interior design? How does this thought of, 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 of um, pleasing our husband and pleasing our wife, how does that come into this whole floor plan design? Well, let's read this together. This is 1 Corinthians 13, 5 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The married woman is to be anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. The married man is anxious about worldly things and how to please his wife. A few years ago, FCA had a, a theme verse. And our theme verse was uh, Romans 12.10. And we got t-shirts. I have a t-shirt for it. And Romans 12.10 says this. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And again, as we read this verse, and we think about applying this to marriage. Love one another with brotherly affection. We know that this love that's in 1 Corinthians 13, this love that's supposed to be in our marriage, is agape love. Not brotherly love like he's talking about here in Romans 12.10. So agape love is up a notch. It could be up two notches if you want to look at it that way. There's this brotherly love, and then there's this attraction, this affectionate love, and then there's agape love. Agape love is the top level of love. So let's think about this agape level of love in our married relationships. If we're to have this brotherly love in this type of relationship, and we're to outdo one another with honor, what happens if we dial it up a notch or two and have that kind of love within our homes? If we have that kind of love in our homes, shouldn't it be our desire to outdo one another, honoring one another? I mean, wouldn't that look amazing? And wouldn't you think that would be the result of flushing that brotherly love out here, taking it up to agape love in our homes? It seems like that outdoing one another in honor would be a great thing. So imagine with me for a second, in our marriages, if we dialed it up one notch, or if we dialed it up to this agape notch. We talked about what it would look like in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 
What happens if we, divide, if we dialed it up this notch and we began to be consumed with how to please our wives, with how to please our husbands? What would our marriages look like? Serving the Lord first, obviously, but there for one another secondly. What would our marriages look like? Driving, driving around the neighborhood, looking at those kinds of marriages. Wouldn't those kinds of marriages have curb appeal? Wouldn't people look at our marriages and go, man, that's the ugliest couple I've ever seen, but they have love for one another like no other. I want to know their secret. I want to know their secret. So there you have it. Undivided interests, divided interests. As married couples, we have divided interests. We have divided interests. So what do we take home from this? I mean, what do we apply to our Sunday afternoon? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. I think the first thing that we need to do, and I think this is an obvious thing, is we need to seek to be pleasing to the Lord. I mean, wherever we are in our journey through life, we all need to seek to be pleasing to the Lord. Uh, sometimes we can get caught up in the things of the world and we want to please our neighbors. We, we want to we please other people. We want to please society. We can't, we can't go that way. We, we have to desire to please the Lord. That has to be our first desire. Married or unmarried, our desire needs to be to please the Lord. Walk in accordance with His will, desiring to follow Him. That is our first thing. As children of God, we need to be pleasing to God. So that's what we need to take home the first thing. And if we don't take anything else from this, that's pretty good. The second thing is for singles. <laughs> it's okay to be single. It's okay to be single. Stay focused on the Lord. Keep that interest on the Lord undivided. Stay with Him. He'll lead you. He'll direct you. He'll, he'll lead you to the one. Uh, I know that by personal experience. Uh, he'll lead you in the right direction. Husbands, you now have divided interests. You got married. It's, no, it's not about you. We need to seek to please the Lord, and we need to seek to please our wives. Wives, you're married. You have a divided interest. It's not about pleasing yourself. Seek to please the Lord first, and seek to please your husband second. So the moral of the story is, please your spouse. That is what we can take home from this as married couples. Please your spouse.